Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Catherine Morehouse. Last year, for the first time ever, the hundreds of countries that attended the United Nations Climate Change Conference agreed that the world needed a loss and damage fund. It was this big step at last year's climate talks that created a fund that was long sought to pay for irreversible climate damage in countries that really didn't cause this problem. This was caused by rich, developed countries. But a lot of the details of how to set up that fund, who should pay into it, who can receive money from it, that was left for later. That's Politico's Zach Coleman. And the thing is, later is now, and the United States' top choice to lead the fund is pretty controversial. Look, my sources are telling me that the World Bank leading this fund is drawing a lot of skepticism, especially from the countries that are supposed to benefit from the loss and damage fund. They have real concerns about what this will mean for accessing money that they feel really is life or death for them. Today, Politico Zach Coleman on the fight over the World Bank leading the world's loss and damage fund. It's Wednesday, October 18th. The U.S. wants to have the loss and damage fund housed within the World Bank for some pretty practical reasons. One is that it's very familiar with it. It is the largest shareholder of the World Bank. It's investing a lot of time and energy to reform the bank, to do more to fight climate change. And maybe one of the more practical reasons is it already exists. I mean, this loss and damage fund, creating it whole cloth, is going to take quite a bit of time If you want to get money flowing right away, it might be best to set it up within an institution that already exists, and the one that they have proposed is the World Bank. Got it. Okay. And you're reporting that this idea of the World Bank leading the loss and damage fund is drawing a lot of pushback and skepticism from developing countries. Could you lay out some of their concerns and what sort of system they do favor? The biggest reason developing countries are skeptical of this plan to house the fund within the World Bank is because the World Bank has suffered from these criticisms that it does too much to surface the interests of the developed countries that fund it, like the U.S. and European Union nations, and doesn't give enough power or say to those that receive the aid, which typically are developing nations. And that's a really important thing to think about here, because if we think about how you're going to use political capital to get funds, I mean, a lot of the most vulnerable nations to climate change are ones that don't necessarily have the biggest political heft. I mean, we're talking about, there's some real questions about, will this be an equitably run fund? And another very technical, but logical thing to think about here is, will everyone have access to it? Not Every single country that might need funding is a traditional World Bank client. So do these relationships even exist? And that is a significant concern as well. Right. Okay. And I mean, you're describing a pretty complicated system here. And I'd imagine that the conflict over who ultimately runs the fund is only one of a handful of issues in establishing a path forward for wealthy nations to pay for the climate damages of smaller nations. Could you lay out some of the other hurdles that exist? Well, first and foremost, what 
countries that want a loss and damage fund want to see is a separate entity that has some sort of independence, much like other funds that are run under the United Nations system. So one of the biggest things at the center of this fund, though, is who is actually going to fund it? I mean, you know, we have to go to some pretty basic principles here. I mean, the U.S. did not necessarily love the idea of creating this fund. They were kind of reluctantly backed into this corner. And is sort of a recognition that public funds, like those approved by Congress, are not going to be available, certainly not all the time at least. So at base, though, what then constitutes payment into this fund? If it's not required to be public dollars because the U.S. knows it would have a hard time getting those funds, then what does qualify as payment into the fund? Is it an insurance scheme? I mean, the U.S. has floated this as an idea of getting some sort of insurance scheme to pay for drought or other climate-related damage, and it wouldn't necessarily come from U.S. government-approved funding sources. Uh, Is it other money from financial institutions like the World Bank? Uh, These are big, thorny questions. And In fact, the thorniest question, though, is not necessarily just what sources pay into it, but what countries pay into this fund. China has resisted paying into this fund, even though it is the world's largest greenhouse gas emitter to date, but it has historically been considered an emerging economy, a developing country. And it negotiated with a group of 77 developing countries along the lines that you know, China and other developing nations should not be expected to pay into this fund. And that is a negotiating block that exists to this day and has caused quite some division as countries try to iron out a lot of the details that were left for later when this fund was created. Interesting. And could you lay out where we are now? We have these climate talks with the UN next month. How has the United States responded to those concerns and how is it talking about this ahead of these climate talks? The United States is putting diplomatic resources to figuring out these questions around the loss and damage fund. Obviously, they've been very much of the position that China should be paying into a fund and certainly should not be expecting to get any money from a fund. Some in China might think they might actually deserve to get money for loss and damage. So, you know, there there are some differences there, but the U.S. is holding firm on China not getting money from and potentially even paying into this fund. But they are not resigned to saying this fund must be housed in the World Bank. I talked to a State Department official who said this is part of the negotiation. We'll see what happens with it. There are some thoughts from other spaces in the climate world that perhaps there could be an interim housing of this fund within the World Bank. But long story short, these very complicated issues about a very politically sensitive fund are likely not going to be resolved by the time nations get to Dubai. How much goodwill and good faith effort the U.S. puts towards this conversation ahead of those talks will go a long way as we get to Dubai because for developing nations and those most vulnerable to climate change, the failure to deliver climate finance and climate grants to adapt to climate change is a constant theme. If money, cheap money, without major debt burdens doesn't come, 
as part of these climate negotiations is it could upend the talks as a whole. So these major issues really need to get sorted out and they could rattle the talks if they're not. Also, the recent flood of federal money to expand clean energy has made it possible for the U.S. to reach net zero climate emissions by mid-century, but only if the programs are implemented as efficiently as possible. That's according to a new report released on Tuesday by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. The report comes as companies roll out hundreds of billions of dollars in new investments in clean energy, electric vehicles, and batteries in response to the incentives in major legislation passed during the previous Congress that are designed to speed the transition away from fossil fuels. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And that's our show. I'm Catherine Morehouse, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is working to responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.